Coffee isn't just a drink, it's who you are. We are Little Green Hive, and we're here to serve that perfect cup of coffee made just for you. We're women-owned and locally sourced. Our mission is to provide the best product for our customers, as well as strengthen our community. From fair trade coffees and teas, to breakfast, lunch, and smoothies, we have everything you need to start your day off right. Come visit us in downtown Roanoke, Grandin Village, and now at the Daleville Town Center, Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Hey, it's Leanna. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a second to thank you for listening. The fact that you chose this episode out of the millions of podcast episodes that are out there, that's pretty cool. We'd love it if you left us a review, subscribed, shared us with a friend. And if there's something you want to see us talk about on Hometown Stories, just let us know. Send an email to hometownstories at wdbj7.com. Okay, now let's settle in for today's episode. This Black History Month, Hometown Stories will bring you some of the stories of our communities, stories that might be lost to time were it not for individuals taking it upon themselves to record, preserve, and share history with the next generation. In this episode, we speak with WDBJ7 reporter Janae Reese, who highlights slavery in Appalachia. Some people falsely believe it simply didn't exist in our Blue Ridge Mountains. But from the earliest years of European settlement, experts tell her slavery was always a part of the fabric of our region, and the New River Valley was no exception. Now, the Glencoe Museum in Radford, Virginia, is highlighting that history with a special exhibit and oral histories from locals and experts, some of whom are sharing those stories with us. How did you pick this topic? Like what drew you to diving deeper into slavery in Appalachia? Well, I've always known that it was something that it was, that wasn't really talked about a lot in the New River Valley because there was there's such a small black population in that area in this region overall. So I've always been interested. And then when the Glencoe Museum sent out a press release to the newsroom saying, hey, we're putting together this exhibit at the museum, I hopped on it. (laughs) I had to hop on it because I said, finally, these stories have a platform. They have a place where people can go, where people can learn, where people can connect and possibly find more information about, about their ancestors about their family. So you talked to a bunch of people, starting with Sarah Carter to, to report this, who is a lifelong resident of Radford. And you say she started tracing her family history. How does her story kind of tie into all of this? Well, her story ties into this because she's from this area. She grew up in this area and it started with a family reunion. Her mom didn't want to do it. Her mom didn't want to plan the family reunion. And while she was planning, she just wanted something that her family can look at, something her family can talk about to show how strong their family heritage is. And back in the 80s, she just started doing a little bit of research at the Montgomery County Courthouse. And then that's when it all started. A lady by the name of Mrs. Mary Kegley put together a book called Free People of Color. She had no idea that she had my family's court cases in there. 
and to find out um, that actually my family, my grandfather's people were here in 1792. They came up here, were brought up here um, just a little bit after the Revolutionary War. And it just sort of latched on to me and it hasn't let me go, <laughs> let me go since, you know. I have found so many more uh, documentations and um, information on both sides of my family, my mother and my father's side. Um, it's just been a pretty interesting journey. That's incredible because I feel like so often in those communities when people are descended from enslaved people, it's really hard to track those records sometimes. So I feel like that was a significant feat for her to be able to go back that far. What was it like to talk to her and to hear her like just trade, like follow the follow the breadcrumbs essentially into the genealogy? I was eating up the breadcrumbs as she was leaving them. I'm going to keep it real with you. <laughs> But it was just really interesting to hear how passionate she was about her family, about her ancestors, um, about making sure she kept this legacy alive and that her children, her children's children, would be able to have a place, would be able to know where their family started, how they got here to the Appalachian Mountains, that they had an identity when it was a time where they didn't think they had an identity. It was remarkable just to hear her come alive, hear her get emotional about all of this and to see that this is her passion and that she's not going to just let her family's legacy die. Yeah, that's incredible. That, what a great gift to give your family. Yes, I know. I know. And she said, like she said, she wanted something to stay. She wanted this history to stay. She wanted this history to live. Even when she's not living, she wants a piece of it to be left. Janae also spoke with a man named Howard Eves Sr., who was also on the panel for the exhibit at the Glencoe Museum. He was born in and spent his early years in the Wake Forest community. He attended the Christiansburg Institute, a historically black school that was among the first to teach freed slaves in Southwest Virginia. His ancestors were enslaved and freed around Kentland Farms in Montgomery County. He's now the president of the Wake Forest Community Action Club and serves as an overseer of the slave monument on Kentland Farms. He told Janae his research brought him to a gravesite near Kentland Farms where he learned his ancestors and many others are buried. Nobody's passing the torch along, not listening not necessarily passing the torch along, but you can like I won't I don't like to use the terminology passing the torch along about black history, light a blaze to the next generation. Wow. What are they doing? I mean, is there, I'm assuming maybe some of them are unmarked. Is there any effort to kind of like preserve or recognize the space where those folks are buried? Yes. So back in 2004, um, 12 grave locations were found and the descendants of those slaves now live in that small community of Wake Forest. So they have those graves at that cemetery. And then also in 2006, um, 
they amended the original listing for the Catlin Farm Historic and Archaeological District on Catlin Farms to add these identified these identified and unidentified and unrecorded slave cemeteries to make sure that they have documentation at Kentland Farms. And he was a part of that. And he's a part of preserving those grave sites and those cemeteries. And he's trying to put together a little museum so the history of Wake Forest is still alive and people can come and know about it. Long story short, he's doing the same thing um, as Sarah Carter is doing, making sure that his family legacy stays alive and people know that although slavery was something not often talked about here in the Appalachian Mountains, it happened and again, they are living proof. And it's kind of remarkable to me that they're still here, like they're still in this community all these years later, like all these generations later, they're still so close to those people geographically. I think that's pretty incredible because people, you know, people move, people go places. So the fact that they're nearby, I think is pretty, pretty amazing. Exactly. And um, Mr. Eaves, he actually left, went to Northern Virginia on the other side of the state and actually came back because his family had ties here and they often come back for family reunions. And I'm glad you brought up people staying and people leaving because it was because of a huge migration, out migration as to why that population of African-Americans of black people declined in back in the day. It's because of that people wanted to leave and some wanted to stay. Janae talked with Dr. Daniel Thorpe, an associate professor of history at Virginia Tech. He's written four books, two of which focus on the history of African-Americans in Montgomery County during and after the era of slavery. Dr. Thorpe says he focused on the Smithfield Plantation in particular, which was once owned in part by James Patton Preston, who had, as part of his property inventory at his death, 91 enslaved people. Thorpe was able to identify about half of them. Just knowing the names of their ancestors is a challenge because even though every one of those 91 people on that inventory, every one of them had a last name. They knew their last names. They could tell you their genealogy. The people, the white people who wrote down the record didn't put any of their last names. Last names didn't matter. Uh, there were almost two dozen full-blown plantations. Um, Wake Forest, for example, uh, many, of the, many of the enslaved people who ended up in Wake Forest, they were on the plantation of um, J.R. Kent. Uh, Kent owned 100 and, 100 and, almost 125 slaves. Uh, and that was one of uh, two dozen plantations. Then there, there were dozens of others that had eight slaves, nine slaves, five slaves. Um, slavery, a third of the families in this county had enslaved workers. They were in every corner of the county. From 1880 to 1890, Thorpe says about 20% of Montgomery County's population was black. By 1960, it had dropped to just 3%. If you, if you read a lot of the local histories that were written in the past about, about Appalachia, the story is, oh, these were yeoman farmers. Lots of Scots-Irish and Germans 
they didn't have slaves. They, they, some of them didn't believe in slavery. Uh, it was never an issue here. And that's simply not true. But they were allowed to continue believing that because if you looked around Montgomery County in 1960, 1970, 1980, it's like, oh yeah, there, there are no black people here. There must have never been slavery here. He told this funny story, well, not really a funny story, but an interesting story, how he took some of those slaves that were identified at Ketlin Farms and in the Wake Forest community in this area in Appalachia, and he was able to trace them back. And he found one lady that was on the other side of the United States, and she said, I had no idea my family, I had family ancestors in the Appalachian Mountains in Southwest Virginia. So it's kind of cool how everyone's spread out across the nation. And I'm going to even say even the world. So, yeah. You said that these folks who you spoke to, a lot of them are on a panel um, for part of the museum trying to get the story out there. Why do they feel that it's important to kind of put this story in the forefront and bring some attention to it? Well, because a lot of Black stories are lost. A lot of them are forgotten. A lot of them are erased because of what happened. Slavery, it was hard. It was an ugly truth, but it did cause a lot of that rich history, a lot of names, a lot of stories to be lost. And people forgot about them. And because people didn't see Black people specifically in this region, because of that out-migration, those stories left with them. So those stories never got told. They were never written down until people today took time to look. So people like Dr. Thor, people like Mr. Eves and Ms. Carter, and even uh, Dr. Burris, she talked about this word called Afrolatchin. So the Black people in this region, they have a name. And that name was coined by Frank X. Walker, who is a native Black Appalachian he wanted his people to have a name. He wanted his people to have an identity. He wanted people to have something to say and to show when it comes to these newly discovered stories and people. I'm ashamed of slavery, but I just never ever will be ashamed of my family being slaves and try to think how they felt and what were they thinking when they were brought down the road, the rock road, and had no idea where they were going or what was gonna happen, to think how they felt knowing that they didn't own their own life. But I wanted to feel their pain, I wanted to feel their hurt. And so I'm hoping that I can inject some of that into even our family member to think what they went through, how they got here, with no ownership of their own self to be able to um, just keep things going. I just get emotional when I, I find these things and you were never told about them. And to think that you're here because of them. So th there's a lot more stories to be told a lot more. Anything else you want to add to that? I don't know. It always gets me excited to tell Black stories because you don't get to do it often, but when I ever have the opportunity to do so, it kind of just 
gets me excited and you know just makes me more appreciative of how far we've come as a nation but also then again where we can go and where we need to be My thanks to Janae for helping share these stories. The Glencoe Mansion, Museum, and Gallery, Slavery in Appalachia, will be open for the entire month of February. You can find more information on WDBJ7.com. Hometown Stories is a production of WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. This episode was produced by me, Leanna Scacchetti, and edited by Ben Raquelmi. We'll see you next time. Hometown Stories is sponsored by Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Locations in downtown Roanoke, Daleville, and Grandin.